like to contact the show, send us an email at liveonfourlegspodcast at gmail.com or get involved in the conversation on social media. Join the Pearl Jam Podcast community group on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at Live on Four Legs Pod. All right, then. We made it. You made it. It looks beautiful out there. Are you all right? I couldn't remember, but now I remember. Hey, where did they fucking come uh, We've been here before, yeah. make it better this time, even better. It's already better. I feel better. I'm any better. Uh, and away we go. You're listening to Live on Four Legs, the live Pearl Jam podcast experience featuring Mr. Stone Gossip. Fucking camera in the jump. everybody now welcome to live on four legs a definitive live pearl jam podcast and you know it is a big anniversary year as you probably have figured out when in june and july we did all of those 2003 shows the mansfield trilogy included and it's not just a big anniversary for the riot act tour we're kind of done with that for the year but now we get to evolve into other anniversaries and we did a couple just a few 1998 shows earlier this year but now we really get to dig in the next three weeks we're going to do all 1998 and talk about the yield era and talk about the songs and performances from this excellent time period matt cameron early on in the band and really getting adjusted this is the second leg that we're talking about today toronto barry whatever you want to call this and getting into 1998 and celebrating the anniversary of it that's what we're here for and we'll celebrate more anniversaries for other tours and albums when they approach the dates later this year but right now it's all 1998 up until basically the tour starts so let's start this randy sobel over here john farrar over there hello hello. how excited are you about this very excited. The next few weeks are some of my favorite shows that don't really get talked about a lot, and there's, there's going to be some cool stuff to talk about. But also, like, we're two weeks away from Pearl Jam shows. It's true. Yeah. yeah. The hype is on. You know, it's funny because I, I think that it's different this year because I think it's all, like, event planning and stuff like that for stuff that's going on outside of when the shows are happening. So that's kind of been my focus the last month or so. But now it's kind of the time to be like, all right, 
what the hell are some predictions? Is there going to be a new album teased? What do you think would be like the most unlikely but not surprising thing that they would do on this nine show run that maybe they'd never done before? Do you have any predictions for that? Mm. Mm. Maybe like a mid set break, like acoustic break, because I know we saw them do it at the beginning of the show, but maybe they come out, blast through a few like they used to do. Then break out the seats, sit down, have a little, maybe like a little storytellers kind of section, and then go back into the rock after that. I can see that happening. Yeah. I can see that happening because think about it. I don't know if they'll want to do that open still. I don't know if they're going to say, oh, well, that was a 2022 thing. And now since Ed's voice is going to be able to handle nine shows, maybe we can start out with release into corduroy kind of stuff and then go from there. And to think about it in sort of another way here, you get the mid set version of what the lightning bolt tours beginning encore would be. Yeah. And like that. And now that kind of leaves your encore. What they did last year is basically going to turn into just big hits. It's going to turn into state of love and trust and black and Jeremy kind of songs. So, yeah, you don't really get that opportunity to do those acoustic songs if you don't have the beginning of the set thing. And I I feel like they are going to just drift away from that a little bit. But I like that idea of trying something like a post even flow for three or four songs and then getting back into it. And maybe, oh, think about like song 13 or 14 being retrograde or immortality that gets you revved up for the last three or four songs of the night yeah yeah definitely and we saw this last year they have so many good acoustic type songs or songs that can be translated that way that haven't really gotten their due and that was kind of a chance for some of those songs to stick out and get a little bit of the spotlight it'd be great to see that come back like yeah all or none like thumbing my way we saw garden in that section fatal footsteps we saw so many like kind of the rare songs step up in that section i'd love to see more of that if I had a prediction for this, and you kind of bring up some rarities there, I think it could go two ways. I, like, I'm on the fence about this. I think this is either like, let's take around 60 to 75 songs on the road, and if there's a request here and there, then we improvise. Or I think it's like, these are going to be nine completely different sets, and maybe songs that you'd hear three times out of nine shows normally like a wish list or something like that. Maybe it turns into one and maybe you start kind of intertwining some of the, not just rare stuff, but just kind of the in hidings of the world that kind of come and go a little bit here and there. But I wonder if they're considering just with nine shows and, and I know that because of the two night stints that they're doing four times, they'll want to make those shows completely different. I wonder if that's something they're thinking about too. Maybe like the Metallica thing that they've been doing lately, that night one completely different set list that you're not going to get any songs the same from night two. Yeah. We saw that in Hyde park and London. Yeah. I Um, think the only same songs were like alive and works. That's it. Yep. Yep. I can see that maybe more for next year. But I think having not played in a year, especially for the first couple, I think, you know, you'll see St. Paul be a little bit more conservative 
And then maybe as you go, there might be one or two that they get broken out as a surprise, but I think they're going to play it pretty conservatively for this time around. I think you're going to get a lot of 10, you're going to get a lot of yield. And then I think next year with some momentum and some new songs, I think they break it a little more open. The real question, how much gigaton? Oh, we didn't get much last year. So I'm going to say they stick with that. Maybe two or three a night. I think you probably get quick escape. You'll probably see dance of the clairvoyance still, but yeah, maybe not much more than that. Yeah. I would think that they ended last year. Whoever said was red hot. So I would think that they'd still keep that one in retrograde. I hope that they really love it because that needs to stay around. And then like here, there, I'm sure there'll be a show with super blood wolf moon. I'm sure that, seven o'clock they seem to really like that song even though it does feel a little dated now maybe last year it didn't feel dated as much because it was still fresh but now maybe that kind of gets left in the past but i could see them doing it like maybe once river cross yeah there's enough going on to play that yeah with tragedies kind of all happening around and everything that's going on in hawaii i'm really intrigued to see some of the stories that Ed and obviously intertwining boom will be able to tell. And they're already raising funds for that, which is terrific. But yeah. I think that's going to be a huge aspect too. I can see there being like a little ukulele section in almost every show. Could be. Yeah, definitely. Well, that might all happen in about a month, but let's go back to something that already happened about 25 years ago. So, This episode was a request from our patron, Alex Sink, and he went and joined us on his Horizon Leg Profile episode, and we talked all about this Barry show that was a festival happening in the middle of Canada, Cheap Trick opening up, and a couple other bands, Hayden, Matthew Goodman, Cracker, but it was really interesting because there is a little bit of lack of information you know visually about this show and the bootleg a little bit left to be desired as well so hearing from alex and hearing his stories about this i think are going to be more important than anything that we have to say tonight so let's hear from alex and then we'll come back and we'll do the show so i kind of remember sort of the early stages of like how you got there and who you went with so set the table for all that All right, so road trip with my best friend and his cousin. We set up from just south of Erie, PA, went up, had a good time the night before in Toronto. And then we didn't realize on the tickets, I think it said the doors open at two or something like that. We thought the show started at two, which we thought was odd that they were playing in the middle of the afternoon, but there wasn't any other information. So we showed up at about 11 o'clock in the morning and I found out Pearl Jam was playing that night at eight. I think there was a whole festival going on. So we ended up in there for the whole day and just had a great time at that show. I, that was a fantastic show. Just a fun show all around. Well, what's the story about like you guys getting water and like leaving, like tell that whole bit. Well, because we thought there was just going to be a short show we, or, you know, an afternoon show, we left everything in the car. And when we got inside, Realized we had nothing with us except for one debit card or a $20 bill. Or so. Oh, no, we didn't have any, any cash at all. So I think we scrounged together from some friends that we met there to get a bottle of water that we were sharing between us and refilling on the mist showers until we finally saw there was a back entrance to Molson Park up there. And the police officer was kind enough to let us sneak out the back, run to Subway and 
get some refreshments and some food, but we had to leave my best friend as collateral. So, <laughs> so hey. his cousin and I ran across the street and got some goods to eat and came back. And thankfully, they let us back into Molson Park because, you know, as any venue, it's a no reentry. So we were glad to leave him as collateral to make sure that we didn't get locked out. Sometimes and always there's a way around things. There's always red tape that you got to go through. We would have been happy to bring back a sub for the security officer for his kindness. So sure. uh, thank goodness for Canadian hospitality. Right. Yeah, there you go. If you're doing that in Texas, no way. You ain't getting back in. <laughs> so there's some things here. Like I remember you talking about how you were part of a picture that ended up being like. What, what... Somebody did a post a number of years ago of the crowd in between Cheap Trick and Pearl Jam way before the crowd really had come in, which just happened to show myself and my best friend's cousin. I mean, just barely, unless you know who you're looking for, it's not like it's a great picture, but at least it kind of shows where we were. We had started to move back, but I think at that point we're standing probably about 12 to 15 people deep, you know, without anything pushed up. But when Cheap Trick was playing, we had been a little bit closer to the stage and a little bit more to the right side of the stage, which ended up being great because... During the cheap trick set on the left side of the stage, on McCready's side of the stage, you could see him over there with his Polaroid camera. I think Jeff Ament was on that side as well, too. But then on our side, Ed had climbed up on the scaffolding behind the netting on the side during the set and was swinging back and forth. But we were close enough we could yell back and forth kind of in between songs. So I jokingly you know, yelled over him to not slip as he was swinging. But he kindly gave me the bird and and getting a big smile. And we had a fun exchange there, man. But they were just enjoying that cheap trick set so much. It was great. Talk about the crowd a little bit. Like, we have an audience recording of this, so it's tough to get a feel for the entire since you don't hear everything, obviously. But yeah, the rumor is that this is a pretty rowdy crowd. This was quite a crowd. It was a fun crowd. You know, we were right on the edge of the pit, maybe two or three people really off of it where we didn't have to worry about it but you could get into it if you wanted but from the first song what did they open with corduroy i think from the first time that they kicked in i mean it was just a dust cloud kicked up in the pit but man it was a rowdy rowdy pit but everybody was was working together it was it was just a fun time and actually at one point in the concert ed addressed it after a live they went backstage for the first intermission before the first encore and came back out and addresses about the eight-minute mark, commending us for keeping it within the lines. But you could tell he wanted to be in in the crowd with us, but he made a mention of it. It was nice being the band for our party, which it doesn't get too much uh, better than that. But he asked us for the next time, maybe they would do three shows in smaller venues because it was just a bit much. I think we had a GA crowd of about thirty to 35,000. It was just, it was all out. It was a good time. Yeah, John's right. It is very tough to tell on the bootleg, but there is a story that's attached to Five Horizons where these like 14 year old kids were being hung out to dry in the pit. And one guy was trying to crowd surf to get out of it and he kept getting dropped on his ass. So like if that tells you anything about what a nice and good crowd can try to do and help somebody, then that's how you know how bad it was, I suppose. I've read that Five Horizons review, and it's comical, especially whenever 
he thinks he's just about to get a break with the, something a little bit slow and then yeah, something right. fast gets in. <laughs> and yep. he realizes he's in for an- another one. Yeah, there were a couple people that got caught in there, but you know, it seemed like it didn't last for too long before they could get him out of that whole area. But after the concert was hilarious because that dust cloud, there was a McDonald's on the 400, I guess. I think it's at the highway that runs back down to Toronto. And everybody and their mothers stopped there. And you went in and it was just mud everywhere from everybody trying to rinse the dirt off and all that stuff. So we took half of Molson Park back with us after that show. What did you see that impressed you that you were like, yeah, this is one of my favorite songs, big moment of this show? I'll tell you, Mike McCready played his brains out that night. His solos on not only, you know, Alive, but even on Black. Talk about Do the Evolution, because now this was the debut of the video, but it's weird because they don't tee it up or anything like that. It just kind of pops on on a video screen in the background. So what do you remember of like watching it? Were you kind of distracted by the imagery of it? while they were playing it what was kind of going on in your mind and on stage during that yeah it was a bit confusing because there's no mention of it before they start kicking in to do the evolution but the video started playing on the sheets in the background but before that i believe it projected on there and said do the evolution world premiere 8 so we all knew it was the first time that they were showing it publicly because I think the official U.S. release was the 24th or something like that. So we were trying to figure it out, but I will tell you, you hear the crowd when it goes into the little guitar that down and down, down, down and down, and the black-haired girl showed up for the first time. There's a big cheer when she kind of pops on with, you know, those flash scenes that they show her when she oh, yeah. first kind of is introduced. Yeah. And so that really got the crowd going when that kicked in. All right. That was a great interview. That was a great conversation that we had with Alex there and just want to thank him once again. He's just been terrific, just source of information. And if you guys remember a couple of years ago, we were able to put out an essay on the website about his collections and you can probably still see that you got to dig deep a little bit, but it's still up there and it's just amazing kind of treasure trove stuff. So we really appreciate him sharing that with all of us and all you guys too. And great stories too. Really appreciate it, Alex. Thank you so much. Yeah. He took the time out of his vacation to come talk to us. So yeah, very much appreciated. Thanks Alex. All right. Well, I think we got a show to get into, so why not jump in a little bit? Do you want to talk a little bit about Cameron's place here and his role here? Because in July in June, and July, he was just sort of filling in the gap and being a replacement. And now Cameron has agreed to being a full-fledged member of the band from this point forward. Yeah, you know, my first show seeing them was about 10 days after this, so I was kind of in and around this area. You know, I kind of have a little bit of memory of that. So yeah, it's being the new guy, right? Just trying to find your place and we talked about it before, like not trying to work out, you know, where you fit into this rhythm section and where you fit in musically. And we've seen that it's worked out. He's been the drummer for 25 years. Obviously, it's been very, very productive. But, you know, there's still that hesitation at first, like, how is this going to work? And you see him, we've talked about, oh, you know, he's he's still kind of playing some songs a little close to the vest, still playing really close to the records because that's what he had to go on. But there's a couple of songs here where I think you see him start to add some flourishes and start to do a little more things, start to throw his weight around a little bit. So, yeah, that that's interesting to see from this time. 
You know how some podcasts, they go all crazy with like uh, little sound bites and stuff like that in between little things on segments that might be recurring. There could be a segment for this show where we talk about filthy fills because Cameron has tons of them coming up in this show. So maybe we should put something together that is a filthy fill that we can kind of alert you guys as to when it happens in this show. I'll cook something up. So pay attention to that. All right, we're opening up. There's going to be a short little jam, kind of improvised and kind of like a warm-up for this before digging into Corduroy. What would you think about that? Oh, I love this kind of jam opening. It's completely badass. Like, why have they not done this every single time? it out for a little bit see where the mood takes you like famously you know we talked about Fugazi never used set lists and we know what Ed thinks about them yeah this is awesome this was such a cool way to open the show like I would love for them to come out and just kind of jam on something and just kind of see where it takes you and see what kind of mood they're in and like yeah it's an amazing start to a show absolutely love it yeah and it's not too much different than I mean Tone-wise and sound-wise, it's completely different. But last year, you remember some of those early shows over on the West Coast, they started to implement a little intro on the Corduroy as well. And we talked about that a lot. We talked very highly of that. So it's not that much different. And Corduroy always, with a little bit of like tension in the beginning, is always going to ramp that up. And obviously, you have stuff from this era like interstellar overdrive is starting to get implemented more i believe they were doing beds are burning so they're looking for little things to kind of set corduroy up and i like this being here i like this kind of happening right in the beginning because it's just another way that's like all right well if you come out and just play those notes then that's one thing but like you kind of have to tease them a little bit and then the immediate response when you hear corduroy you're just able to explode i like that aspect of it yeah i don't know if they meant it to be connected to corduroy if it was just like hey let's just fuck around for a minute and see what happens this is another one where i wish we had video to see actually what was going on on stage and how it was being directed but yeah it's very very cool yeah it's got some grit to this version the song wasn't overly extravagant yet when we talk about it now it's a big anthem it's a highlight of the night it's something that everybody's going to talk about but in 1998 it was like really in the pocket and it was a fun song and it was used in big spots but it wasn't like the big big moment that it would become it's evolving into that during this 98 tour yeah i mean it had always been the opening of it is just irresistible. You can't not go crazy when you hear it. And they've used it to great effect to open shows before and since, obviously. But yeah, corduroy to open a show is always great. 
All right, we got a pulverizing little trio here. Brain J, Hail Hail, Animal. Yeah, there's some good stuff here. It's just all together, like the band is feeding off each other and Brandon J again Ed's got a really good growl throughout a lot of this show heard it here on Brandon J so it's got a more bubbly solo on this than he usually does but I think the highlight to me was Animal because it's going to come from McCready here I don't know if you noticed this but a little bit of a change up on the solo after that kind of quiet bridge where Ed takes it down. Like he doesn't go into that usual traditional he doesn't do that. He does something else. And then a second or so later when Ed is going through that chorus run again to finish, he brings in that more recognizable riff. And Brainerd J and Hail Hail are excellent, and they fit into this kind of no bullshit rock section of the beginning of the show here. But those aren't big McCready songs, really. An Animal is the one I think too. Yeah, there are some versions of Animal that I think come off as thin is not the right word, but they don't have the power that Animal had originally. You talk about back in the versus Vitalogy years, but. This one just jumped out of the speakers at me. It sounds fierce and tough, just like Animal should. And yeah, I think a lot of that has to do with Mike playing around at the time and being a little more comfortable in his own skin, trying some things out and being like, hey, what if we did something different here? How does that change the song and how does that change the tone of everything? And yeah, I think it works really well. One little note on Hail Hail. I want to see if you caught this, but at the end of it, it sounded like Stone was doing something very similar to MFC's outro. Did you notice that? Hmm. No. Interesting. They're about to play it in like two songs, so sure, I guess sure. it makes sense that it's on his mind. But yeah, I never heard that some before. Last minute practice, yeah. Yeah, right. All right, Ed's gonna address the crowd for the first time. Says, "All right, we made it. You made it. It looks beautiful out there. Are you all right? I couldn't remember, but now I remember." And then something interrupts him at that point, and the crowd kind of reacts. And there's, again, it's the visual aspect that we don't have. And this is a very rowdy crowd, as we talked about with Alex. So there could have been things going on that could have distracted Ed for a second or two. Maybe something got thrown on stage. Who knows? But this kind of stuff is going to happen. And then Ed says, we've been here before. Let's make it even better this time. It's already better. I feel better. I'm Eddie Vedder. Well, that is going to lead into what I'm going to put as a four-song section here of Dissident, Given a Fly, MFC, and Habit. 
And it's interesting juxtaposition because Brandon J. Hell Hell Animal are all fired up rockers, and now it's clearly going in the direction of soaring songs. Dissonant is a soaring song, Given a Fly Soaring, MFC. And then this little section kind of ends off with their big hardcore punk song, kind of takes it back into that territory. This version of Given a Fly really stood out to me. I think you might want to get the filthy fills ready because there's a moment with Cameron at the end of Given a Fly that's just incredible. This is a very tribal approach on this song. And again, it's still very early on. As we mentioned before, a lot of what Cameron's going to do is take what's on the recordings and make it his own. But he's very much channeling Jack Irons in this. And that's not a bad thing at all. And I don't know if you notice this, but right before Given a Fly happens, Ed, like under his breath, says, I like this one. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you noticed that. but yeah, definitely I mean, that's kind of a tee up for the next 25 years there and how highly they still think about it. So, yep, it's got that, you know, obviously we're talking about 1998. It's got that original pace to it, which gives the song kind of room to breathe. Stone's rhythm here also just exceptional. When you give Stone a groove, he's going to run with it and do something really cool. And that happens here on Given the Fly. Oh, some of the bootleg stuff. It's in between, I think, Given the Fly and MFC here, but. There's a lot of little banter going on. There's the talkative part. section. Yeah, our, our taper found himself in a, in a talkative section. Yeah, it does feel, and this is what's so disappointing about this, it does feel like the audience that are right next to the mic kind of makes it feel like they're playing not a festival, but like a county fair. You know what I mean? Like people just kind of not paying attention and be like, oh, there's a band going on in the background, but here I am with my friends and making it about us. You know what I mean? But see, I don't mind that because you get to kind of feel like you're there. Like that's what happens sometimes when you go to shows. You get people talking, you're in the environment. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't mind this at all. Yeah. There's some talkative girls and there's some screaming and stuff, but that's kind of what it's like to be at a show. So, you know, you get to kind of put yourself in that environment a little bit. It was fun. I wouldn't want it every single time. I'm very glad for the high-quality bootlegs that we have, but this is okay sometimes, too. And this is going to be interesting, too. I think the next couple of weeks, we're going to have a lot of taper-related talk to go over, too. It's going to be an interesting time for that. That is the fun aspect of 1998, for sure. Now, we got to get to Habit, because Habit's pretty interesting here. So, how about the way that he kind of, on the fly, tries to figure out what the hell he's going to say as the speaking as a child of little bit here because in 1998 and a little bit in 1996 he was not doing the speaking as a child of the 90s part every single time he was changing it up and this time we have this speaking as a dumbass Propaganda believing, missile shooting American. (laughs) 
when you're in Canada, you have to talk shit about the Americans. Of course. But I think the solo is just absolutely crazy, like, off the rails. Like, this is the moment of chaos, the descent into madness in this show. Oh, yeah. Absolutely just nuts on the solo here. They were going batshit crazy on this thing. Yeah, a lot of experimental noise in the background that I'm going to guess that is all Stone and Ed trying to balance what Mike is doing and try to kind of create some more chaos, as he said. Yeah, Descent into Madness, reminiscent of those 1993 versions of Deep where they just tore it up at the end and just let it spin out of control. Yeah, this is exactly what you love out of habit. This is a very intense version for sure. habit we get to hear our taper which we don't usually get to do i think he talks to a couple of the people around him and it's like hey could you maybe not scream this thing's recording and like it'd be, it'd be great if you would not do that right into this microphone always you know, cool to hear the kind of like in the field recording aspect of it like you get to hear the person's voice who's recording i think what i'll do with that is i will save all of these little moments and cut it up and put that at the end that'll be the easter egg for the end of the show there so hang tight for like an hour and 35 minutes into this episode and maybe you'll get something like that wishlist goes into even flow here Ed changing a line. I wish I was as fortunate as fortunate as you. He has a lot of moments where he wants to connect with the crowd and he's just excited to be there. And I was a little confused because I thought that 96 show from Toronto was so awesome that why is he kind of teeing up before saying, oh, it wasn't that good last time. Like that was a little weird. You know what I mean? That's a great show in Toronto in 96. Yeah. yeah. You never know. Like they always have a different viewpoint. It's always different being on stage and you, you see different things and you feel different things. It's a, it's a different animal. But there's a line here. He changes another line. I think it sounds like I wish I was a believer, but I couldn't really make out what he was saying. But there was a couple of line changes in this. It was good. Even flow here. The solo is great. And the solo is obviously a talking point. But I think we kind of sometimes overlook the fact of what Mike is doing in the second verse, his little flourishes in between Ed's vocal runs. That, to me, kind of underratedly sort of sets the tone for what he's going to do in the solo. You know what I mean? If he's getting a little electric in that, then it sort of triggers in your mind like, oh boy, this is going to be a big time solo here. And I don't think on this particular version, that his little flourishes and the solo sound all that similar. I think there was way more like of a funky vibe. And I think this will be good for Javier to come in on this and talk about this in just a second. But I think that's just such an underrated aspect of Evenflow. And I don't remember the last time we really talked about it. 
kind of like the trailer for the movie, you know, the yeah. teaser to get you a little preview of how he's feeling about it. Sure, yeah, that's very cool. After the song, one of our compatriots in the crowd did not agree that you hear the, yes, that song sucks. It's probably not the dawning of, you know, no even flow and bathroom break even flow, but yeah, people are starting to get sick of it, I suppose. Yeah, let's go back into the solo here. I'm going to just let Javier go off on this because this is right in his wheelhouse. Very funky, a little bit short, but I think 1998, that's the era. They don't really extend it too much here. So let's get the Gear Guru's thought, our first segment of the day. Let's go. Hey Randy, hey John, hey everyone in the podcast. So we're going back to 1998, the Yield Tour, specifically for Barry in 1998. Let's kick it off with Evenflow. So what else can we cover that we have not talked about Evenflow? And I guess there's one little thing. So everybody knows that iconic 1960 Fender Stratocaster that Mike uses, right? We know that that's the weapon of choice specifically for Evenflow, for maybe Black, Yellow Look Better, or any other songs that like the song will call for one strat. There's a very interesting details about those guitars. So you have a five-way switch selector where you're gonna be combining like your bridge pickup, your neck pickup, and the middle pickup, or you can have like out of face positionings when you're gonna be mixing two combined at the same time. What's so impressive about this solo or the song itself is in 1998, there's no overdrive pedal in Mike's board, nothing. Everything is coming from the amps. God knows how loud they were, which is pretty cool, but nowadays we know that unfortunately they cannot run it at the same levels anymore because it's unsafe. So a lot of the tone is coming from the pickup selection, playing a little bit more on the bridge, playing a little bit more over the neck, but also there was a pedal around that time that is a pan volume pedal. So this thing is gonna work in the way that if you lift the pedal up a little bit, that's gonna remove the overdrive and it's gonna clear out the tone so you can make it more funky, more creamy, or more transparent. Transparent overdrive also, another term that is super, super hot nowadays. Another tone shaping weapon that it was used in 1998 is between all the oranges, matchless, and all the other amps that they were running around that point is the Ampeg amp. Uh, the Ampegs, they were very unique for 1998. They were not used in any other tours after that. But again, that's gonna add to that mix of sound, to that wall of sound that you're looking for. It's gonna help with the shape of the tone that you're looking for, and also it's gonna shape with the quality of the solo. Plus all that, never, 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 never old enough to mention a thousand more times, Ivan is Tuva Screamer TS9. So, yep, we wanted to kick it off that way this week because we always talked about pedals and stuff like that. But also, let's just talk a little bit more about Mike's skills on that wonderful 1960 Fender Strat that everybody thought that it was in 1959. 
Oh, thank you, Javier, for the first one of the night. I think we'll call you back in a couple minutes here when we get the State of Love and Trust, but that was the first good start. Thank you so much. And now we can dig into Daughter. Daughter being kind of the highlight of these three. Daughter in hiding, Jeremy. And I think the actual song has a really good presence to it. In a way, it's like a driving force, but again, like has that bubbly presence to it, that kind of pop rock presence to it. And you just kind of cut to the tag sometimes. But I thought that the daughter aspect of this performance was pretty good. And then the tag comes in. The buzz off of Stone's guitar sounds really good. The cloud starts clapping along. And Ed's doing some of these vocal runs that get like a little delay effect on them. Get a little echo. What'd you think of that? Yeah, he's doing some gymnastics there with his voice a little bit. Then it gets a little bit creepy, like a little bit darker, which is interesting. But you mentioned the, the song itself. I think that's all Stone. Like, Stone's got that rare ability to kind of, like, determine how a song is going to say. He can do little subtle things like that to completely change the way the song sounds. He can add those little undertones to things and give it a completely different sound. Yeah, that's a good catch. I think that's all Stone. But the little vocal stuff in the tag is really interesting. The Cheap Trick thing is going to be the story because, like, it's a debut. Cheap Trick opened the show. But don't overlook Ed's like showing off on his little vocal gymnastics there. Yeah, and, and you kind of said it, it takes a turn for the dark, and he's kind of like growling, mother, mother, yeah, and yeah. starts like babbling on a little bit. And that's what brings them into the surrender tag here. We'll get into Cheap Trick a little bit more in a minute or two, but yeah, the first time they ever did that tag, and then later on, they would actually play the song for real. This is the only time they ever tagged it, which feels a little strange, but yeah, I can't change history, I guess. Yeah, all I got on In Hiding was that it felt like the crowd wasn't really digging the new stuff as much at least they weren't like actively participating it had a good reaction afterwards but that's a a deeper cut on the album so i can understand with do the evolution and wish list and given a flag and brain of j2 being the big showcase kind of songs that in hiding still has a lot of work to do to get to become that big crowd song that it would become a little bit later but you want crowd songs look they know that's a new song maybe people aren't fully fully on board with it just yet so following it is going to be jeremy and I guess a little bit of Cheap Trick comes into play on Jeremy because obviously the 12-string fretless bass comes through and there's a little story, of course, tying Jeff to Tom Peterson. You want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, you know, back in the early days of Pearl Jam, Jeff got one of those Tom Peterson bass guitars and used it on the actual recording of Jeremy and I think Why Go as well. Yep. 
so yeah, kind of a little bit coming full circle. You know, we did that Crocodile Cafe show, I think for Patreon last year, where they opened up for Cheap Trick, and now there was a lot of stories about that, and you get some of that here as well. Yeah, it's it's nice for them to kind of throw these little nods into it. You're going to get one in the next song as well. And what happens in the next song leads me to believe that that's why they put Jeremy there to package both of these together. But look, the crowd takes it at the end. They do all the woes and the crowd is just on their feet, excited and enjoying this. Obviously, the 10 songs, there's not going to be a lot of 10 songs compared to like Vitalogy from this show. But yeah, the crowd is very, very excited when they get their turn on this. And it just has a very strong ending to it. All right. Well, now State of Love and Trust comes through and Ed introduces it by saying that Mike has a very special guest joining up on the next song. And that would be Rick Nielsen's guitar in the wood because it can't be in the flesh. So it's in the wood. Sorry, I had to explain my joke, but I feel like people would just be scratching their heads anyway. Yeah, I think that there's like this extra ounce of energy that comes from having that on stage with them. You know, like they know how important that is. They know that that's part of a music history that they idolized in their youth. And it does feel like Mike has a ton of enthusiasm during this version and a very, very inspired solo because of it. Oh yeah, I mean, again, I wish I could see his face as he's playing, you know, the guy, he is the classic rock fan, you know, we talk about Kiss and Cheap Trick and the Rolling Stones and all of his influences like that, but, oh yeah, I'm sure it just must have been amazing, the guy's probably in heaven sitting there playing this guitar on stage like that, just soaring on cloud nine, yeah, it must have been really, really special. All right, let's get back to the gear guru about this one, because obviously, you know, different gear that we're talking about here. It's not what Mike normally uses on State of Love and Trust. So there is a little bit of a different sound. You can kind of tell a little bit that it doesn't sound exactly like Mike's tone for State of Love and Trust. So I wanted to see, kind of compare the two and see what Javier has to say about that. So can't wait to hear his answer on this. Cheap Trick has a very, very strong influence in this band. We know that. It's pretty common for guitar players to kind of like pay like a little bit of a tribute to their heroes, right? Like using their instruments or trying to like imitate the sound that is shape the way that they play or even shape the way that they think about music. In State of Love and Trust, Mike is using a hammer checkboard 1978. This is the guitar that Rick Nielsen from Cheap Trick uses or used to use. There's two versions of this guitar, the black and white checkboard. There's another one that is a little bit more complicated to find from the same year, 1978. There's a little bit kind of like a yellow cream-ish with black. They're both the same design, the color just changes, but 
The really cool thing about this guitar is the pickups. They're PAF pickups. If you ever heard this term before, PAF means Pattern Applied For, which is like a very unique sound that like vintage guitars will get in many of the tones that we have in records that we love, they will come for that kind of pickup. This guitar is gonna really push the amp in front. It's really gonna push those preamp tubes and you're gonna get that very creamy, warm overdrive sound that you're looking for, for like a very classic rock songs. Why so important? Because again, in 1998, there was no overdrive pedal on that board. So it is very important to use the right kind of instrument to push the amp to whatever you want to take it to. In this case, for Stable Love and Trust, we need a little bit of more rockier tone, right? So you want to have the right kind of guitar. If you're wondering where this guitar has shown up again, let's go back to Moline in 2014. And yep, that was the same 1978 hammer checkboard that Mike used that night. Maybe it can give us a clue. Maybe whatever that guitar is going to be showing up, maybe we know that we'll have a special night or in a special set. Who knows? Hopefully we can see it now late in the fall for the 2023 tour. Excellent. Thank you so much. And the next time we will talk to you, sir, will be at the end of the show. So don't go anywhere if you like Gear Guru segments. We need to break out the Cameron alert. There's an absolutely great Cameron moment when the guitars drop out on the break of State of Love and Trust. That's really amazing. Again, you can see Cameron starting to find his place in these songs and starting to add some of his touches, and it's really cool. Yeah, he's driving the whole entire thing. And a lot of these songs, you can just feel the drive come right out of them. But yeah, this is a good Cameron show. As much as it's a good Mike show, Cameron is in charge. And I think that's important from the first leg of this year is that he was learning how to become in charge. And now he's like taking the initiative to be that guy. We're going to get to another Filthy Phil in just a second, but that's part of the man trilogy. This is a pretty rare order here. As Alex said a little bit before, it was the second version. Nothing to better to leather. That does feel a little different when you're ending with leather here. And they only did it two other times, and this is the only 1998 version with these in order. So that is interesting. It does ask for a little help on Nothing Man. And yeah, I think at this point, the taper, like, just get up and find a better spot here because come on, I know it's a soft song. It's a slower song. Like, yeah, they just take the opportunity to just not pay attention to the music in this. Especially on a quiet song like Nothing Man, there's going to be a song later on where the crowd become very quiet and is paying very rapt attention, which is a really great performance. But this is not that. They're still a little distracted. But I like this order, especially with this version of Leatherman. Yeah, if they're going to play Leatherman like this, do it like this sometimes. Yeah, Leatherman we'll get to in a second, but we have to get to a better man filthy fill here. Yeah, 
Holy but like that's like the kicking at the bridge right there. That's every version of Better Man that we hear now that like that's no big deal to Matt in 2023 but 1998 he's picking his spots a little bit and it's making every single one feel like the weight of the song is just driven by that and a straight up 4-4 rock song like that's his wheelhouse he knows right away he's like oh I can do something on this one well We certainly get one of the most interesting versions of Leatherman that I've ever heard. I can't remember a time in Leatherman that anything like this happened. And really, this kind of thing doesn't happen much in Pearl Jam at all. Like you think most bands will, or some bands at least, will stop songs in the middle of it and maybe introduce the other bandmates to the crowd. But... It's just not something that's really in Pearl Jam's wheelhouse to do that. I think maybe you've heard it before on, you definitely heard it before on Porch. Alive, I think, is one that they've taken advantage of with that. And honestly, I think they've done it on Better Man before, too. I think there are a couple classic versions of Better Man that have, like, heartfelt speeches, too. Mm -hmm. So, Leatherman's not going to be a heartfelt speech. This is happening because Ed's guitar has cut out. And Ed is trying to fill time and trying to make it not awkward. But kudos to the band for still sticking with it in the background and kind of giving him a little bit of the scenery, I suppose, while he's speaking over this. And that will help when they're finally about to get into the end. It feels seamless. That's a really cool aspect. That's Cameron's experience, I think, too. Yeah. Mm hmm. Well, Ed's going to address. So why don't we just hear what Ed has to say here? When the song kicks right back in, it really, really works. And honestly, they made this work really, really well. I really enjoyed what they did with this. Yeah, I think this might be my favorite version of Leatherman we've ever heard. 
and not just because of the speech, which is very cool. But yeah, and you hear kind of Ed, you know, finishes up and then he kind of like mumbles some stuff like, okay, where was I? And then I'm gonna kick in and the band goes, okay, we're there, let's do it. And yeah, it adds a little bit of energy to it. And I think being the third song in the trilogy too, like gives it a little bit of an extra kick. Yeah, this is great. Yeah, I think you already have to be loose on the night. If it was a night where it was like Murphy's Law and everything went wrong, then maybe it's something different. But I think seeing a lot of these songs and listening to a lot of these songs, you kind of hear that Ed feels really good. There's some moments where he kind of exaggerates on lyrics. I didn't mention that with MFC, but he had that in MFC. That, that kind of stuck out. But if they're loose, they're going to do something like this 10 times out of 10. And it created a really good moment that, well, should be talked about more. I'm glad we were able to get to it because I think, gun to my head, this is probably my favorite Leatherman too. All right, ending the main set with Alive. Hey, we're going to get on a run here that I don't think Alive is going to be the pre-Ledbetter song for a couple weeks now. So it's like a couple months of no bread and butter, you know what I mean? Yeah, especially it's going to be good before the tour because you know it's going to be there on these shows coming up. Right, so you won't need it from us. Well, this is a very fun performance and a big time just shred fest from Mike and a little echo kind of delay effect on it, too. That sounded really good. And it feels like, again, another one you need the visual aspect for. But thankfully, Five Horizons exist. And there's a moment where Ed's being a showman and going up to the speaker stands and dancing and pointing and jumping up and down. There's an audible moment where you can hear the crowd react to what he's doing. Like that stuff that is so normal for now. But again, like 1998, he is still developing that kind of showman character, I suppose. Right. Yeah, they weren't the ballpark band that they would become. They were playing arenas, but they weren't like that arena rock band. They were still kind of being pulled in that smaller direction. It's an interesting thing. It feels like we always talk about this. Why can't we just have videos for every show? Can we just fast forward to when that happens? You you know, I I, I talk to Shus because I think there are at least a majority. Yeah, like I said, it's the Mike McCready show. The show has a really big kind of, we're going to get to the encore pretty soon, a big party feel at the end, and that starts here with the live. It's going to be Murderer's Row from here on out. And you know, we got a, this song sucks after Evenflow, but the other big hit that they play gets a, you kick ass, Eddie. So, yeah, they want him back. All right, time for the encore. Let's pause for station identification and talk about you know, the things that we've been talking about the last few weeks. We get to talk about Patreon first, and we have some people to thank for joining up on Patreon and also for extending their pledge into a higher donation total that we want to thank some people on, too. So, first, thank you to the bonus leg tier. Well, we would love to know this person's name, but if they wish to be anonymous, that's totally fine, too. They joined up as PJ Seattle. So thank you so much, PJ Seattle. Reach out. Love to hear from you. And hopefully you're enjoying the content out over there. And let's welcome a brand new Horizon Leg tier member, John. Feels like we always say this doesn't happen very often. But then again, it's like, you know what? This has happened a little bit this year, which we're very thankful and and pleased that people want to support us in that fashion. So... Let's thank, and I've been practicing this. She (laughs) messaged me 
uh, pronunciation, so I'm going to try really hard on this. All right. Rita Wendrahovich. Okay. It's a hyphenated last name. So Wendrahovich Raditz. I think I got that. Okay. So. Not bad. Yeah. Rita's kind of been a part of our Pearl Jam podcast community group and always commenting. And so, yeah, thank you so much, Rita, for joining up on Horizon Leg Tier. You got an episode request and a profile waiting for you. So anytime you can think about a show that you want us to cover, just let us know and we will put it to that ever-growing queue. So thank you so much. And now... Let's get into two other people that have been patrons for a little while and are now donating to higher tiers. And that doesn't happen very often. And just having that support from people is just so welcoming and great to see that people are just super supportive of what we're doing. So let's thank Scott McQueen, who you may have heard from earlier this year. He requested the Philadelphia 2016 episode, not 10, the first night, which is very, very good. He requested that one. He came on the show with us. So he extended his Gigaleg patronage to a Horizon Leg patronage. So thank you so much, Scott. Really, really kind of you. He's a good friend of the podcast. So thank you so much. And I also want to thank Jill Bedecker. And she's just a terrific human being. You know, we're setting up all this stuff in Chicago for Sully and his memory and, you know, putting all the shirts and orders together. She's just been wonderful. If you guys got your shirt and you got a little bracelet that says Cystic Fibrosis Foundation on it, that is thanks to her for putting it all together. And yeah, we're going to see each other in, in Chicago. We're just going to celebrate life and give a nice little tribute to Sully there. So really, Jill has just been terrific and wonderful, and I can't wait to finally meet her. Just thank you so much. Another joining from the bonus leg and going on to the horizon leg tier. So yeah, I'd love to hear her stories too. Cause I think she jumped into this fandom after meeting Sully. And mm-hmm. I think that's how it went. Yeah. Thanks to all our new patrons. That's great. Like I said, the tour is, is about two weeks away. So now's a great time to get in. It is. Cause what we're doing once the tour starts is we will be doing that post game reaction. Those episodes coming while people have just walked out of the arena and getting their yeah. instant analysis reaction from it. We'll be asking questions over here or I'll be on site and I'll be dictating the conversation and telling you guys all about what we just saw. But yeah, that's worth the price of admission. You guys, I don't know anywhere else that you can get it besides like a local newspaper or something like that. But if you want yeah. instant analysis, right after the show literally the next morning yep you'll see it in your feed either late that night or the next morning that's right so if that's a sell then hopefully that can convince you to come and join up but also this past week we released a late night series episode on letterman 2006 and it's kind of like a two-pack episode a little bit because we have the actual letterman late night performance of life wasted and we tacked on the fan club set from the ed sullivan theater that happened afterwards with tons of memorable moments the we will not be playing leash tonight moment and an amazing present tense one for the ages one of the best performances that the band has ever had in my opinion it's all in one spot, one episode. We just put it out. So if that's something that you're interested in hearing, 
go to patreon.com slash live on four legs or you can download the patreon app and search for live on four legs or if you want to give us a website hit go to live on four legs.com and just click the become a patron button you can donate from the bonus leg tier a dollar a month to the giga leg tier for five giga leg tier is going to get you the episode request and if you are like rita and jill and scott that are so kind enough to donate to the horizon leg tier then you guys get a profile episode along with your request. So a lot of stuff happening over there. And again, if you want that post-game reaction, then come on board. There's nothing better. Just a reminder for you guys, obviously, everybody has the shirts by now. And if you don't have the shirt, then please reach out because I think one or two people said it got lost in the mail. I don't have many left at the time of recording. There's only four extra larges left so if you want one then please reach out and i will give you the link to go in and purchase that but all of the proceeds go into cystic fibrosis foundation our events over in chicago karaoke night and the tribute to sully over at Karaz that are happening in between the chicago shows on the 6th it's going to be really something special and obviously the cubs game because now We all know about the Cubs tickets and everybody has gotten their ticket to go and get their Cubs better jersey. So we'll be seeing a lot of people at the game. Yeah, there's just going to be a lot of stuff going on. And one of the things connected with cystic fibrosis that we want to talk about is our raffle that we're doing. We're raffling off a couple of prizes. It is right on our website. I have kept it right at the top. Go to live on fourlegs.com, click into it. You can see the three prizes we're offering an Eddie Vetter neon sign, a Wrigley 2013 hot dog poster, the Monk One poster that has been highly coveted over the years, and a Home Away Show wine set, which is very hard to find now, I believe. So great prizes in there. And if you go to the page, you'll be able to see how much the raffle tickets cost. And it's a very good deal. And you're supporting a very, very good cause here. So everything going back to Cystic Fibrosis Foundation. I did some calculations and it seems like from everything from the ticket sales to shirts to some of the raffles that we've been doing, we're over $3,500 raised just from those three things right now. And that's absolutely tremendous so let's keep that going let's make the goal 5,000 if we gotta like that's all you guys jumping in to help so we really really appreciate that and i'm sure the family of sean will probably really appreciate that too and that's what we're doing it for you make a big impact on the community and the community is going to make an impact in your honor and never want to lose your legacy because if you leave a good legacy behind People will only want to keep it rolling. So that's what we're all doing for Sean. One final thing before we get back into the rock is if you are interested in doing Fantasy Pearl Jam, there is Jam Duel. And that will be available on livefootsteps.org. So what you do and what it's about is that it's not quite a fantasy league where there are 10 teams in a league and everybody drafts. It's a little bit different. If you've done FanDuel, if you've done DraftKings, then you know that 
if you're doing football, that you pick like a quarterback, you pick a couple wide receivers. And this is, in a sense, the same thing. You do get different categories from a live, even flow and porch that you have to choose one of those. And then there's like a secondary common section where you have to choose one of like Better Man and Daughter and Why Go and Jeremy kind of songs. And then we get a couple of other kind of second tier commons too to choose from like the wish lists and the low light and present tense and all them and you get a 10 song set that you can totally create yourself and you can change it to whatever you want throughout the tour after every night you can change it to whatever you want but there is one caveat if you drop a song you just can't put it back on your team so you gotta kind of play the strategy right especially with nine shows where it's tough to predict just about anything it's going to be a lot of fun. We have a little over 40 people that are involved with that already, which is tremendous, but we would love a couple more. So if you're interested in that, log in to livefootsteps.org. Make sure that you're signed in. And if you don't have a login, make sure that you sign up. And there will be a link on the homepage that says Jamduel on it. Join up on that, follow the rules, and you're golden. The Fantasy League was awesome last year, so totally predicted to be awesome again this year. All right, everybody, back to the rock. As the first encore starts, chance of Eddie just fill up the festival grounds right after Alive ends. And then Ed gets into a speech here, just kind of waxes poetically about the fans here and how much they love being there at that moment. He says, all right, you're still alive. We just had a little talking back. and You guys have handled yourselves in extreme fashion. You really take care of one another in ultimate forms. But to be honest, I think we're overplaying this many people at once just because, well, if anybody can handle it, it's Toronto, but I think it's a little too much. Next time we'll play three shows in a smaller place with the same amount of people or something like that. At the same time, I commend you for taking care of one another and making this the party it seemed to be. It was nice to be the band for your evening tonight. We'd like to thank Cheap Trick and all the other bands that played. You know, it's interesting because there might not be a next time. Are you aware that as of yesterday, the doomsday clock got moved another few minutes? We're at five minutes two, people. Five minutes two on the doomsday clock. You don't know what that means, do you? Yeah, they put together a really, really rock solid encore choices and songs here. Six songs that, yeah, I'd be happy to get anywhere in a set, but encore, give this to me anytime. Unfuckwithable. Yeah. So I think the perfect choice after you're mentioning the Doomsday Clock here is obviously to go into Immortality, right? Never a bad spot for Immortality. Yeah, I thought there was a little doom and gloom with Mike Solo at the beginning, and then it kind of sets the tone a little bit and then is able to just rise and explode when it needs to explode. Just very, very good on that. But I think the story here, it's another filthy fill moment, and really, maybe it's not even a fill, it's just cheating because it's just the whole entire end of this song is a Matt Cameron clinic.
gets everything you want out of Immortality, the Sirloin for 1998. I mean, he stepped right into that drum seat and made it his own very quickly. And it's just really, really impressive. Again, as the days go on with Cameron and this band, you're starting to see, okay, like, almost get hungry for that next record. What is Cameron going to do on original songs now, you know? He's killing it with Immortality and River Mirror kind of songs, but now, like, oh, shit, you just wait. The next couple of years are going to be something real fun with Cameron hanging around all this time. 25 years of Matt Cameron. I wonder if they're going to bring that up on tour. I hope they do. Sure they will. So following up on that again, every song here is like crowd favorite kind of song. Rearview Mirror, a shortened version of Rearview Mirror, albeit, but there is a point that I want to bring out in the beginning where you can hear Ed say, Pete, Pete, you know, Pete is Ed's right hand man and has been for a very, very long time. And it goes back to how unruly this crowd was for this whole entire show that Ed is looking out there and saying, Pete, we need you over there. And there's a story that's out on Five Horizons. The kid that is getting bumped around and getting dropped when he's crowd surfing is actually picked up by Pete. Pete comes over and grabs his hand and pulls him out. So Pete was putting in some work at this show. With a festival crowd like this, they're always watching for people to see you know, who needs to be pulled out and who needs to be taken care of. So he's on call during the show for sure. Never a dull moment. A little bit of a shortened version doesn't mean they really have a lot to put into the bridge. And I think that's okay because, again, I think it is a Cameron experience for the end. I almost think here, because Mike is kind of doing sort of his solo run a little bit that he does at the end, and it feels like Cameron is going so vigorous and intense that is almost like he lost track a little bit and had to kind of get back to strumming just to keep up with him. It's not one that meanders, but they pack a lot into that five or six minutes that it is. Yeah, it's very pacey. And when we talk about, you know, you prefer kind of these epic versions and you look for the ones that are eight, nine, ten minutes. But these versions of River Mirror are great as well. It's all those little subtle things where like you're paying attention to one band member and then another band member comes in, you're seeing how they intertwine and everything. It's really interesting. That's when the band is clicking on all cylinders right there and they just have such a great rapport and yeah you just don't find that every day on the street package them together here last exit i got shit black it feels like super lightning speed on last exit really pushing the pace front to back it was 220 i counted which feels a little short for it but it's a short song so maybe kind of off by like 10 to 20 seconds but there was a 40 245 on the record something like that something like that yeah oh cue the chime john it's a filthy fill coming Uh, That might have been my favorite out of all of them. That was just terrific. It might have been. I don't know. I love them all. I I can't really pick. But this one was pretty damn good. Like I said, this Encore 1 is just... Like, I don't ever remember an Encore 1 with this many heavy hitters. And for Last Exit to be the underrated one, the little brother of these songs says something. Yeah, right. 
I got shit that's gonna follow up afterwards. Like, there's no joking matter in that. Like, I love this version. I love just the drive on it. But it's also, again, how you know that Ed is pretty loose and connecting with the crowd here. Because very matter-of-factly, in that second verse, he just very bluntly says, I don't give a fuck if I ever get a mask. Like, he just kind of switches from Ed the performer to just Ed Vetter being completely honest in there and i thought it was a really really cool touch and then you got cinnamon girl too it's not the cinnamon girl tag that they did the last time they were in toronto last year which was fully like go back into the actual song i mean that was polished but this is just ed thinking about it on the fly and just kind of reminding himself that okay this was very similar to cinnamon girl And when you're in Toronto, you're going to get an Uncle Neil reference, whether you want it or not. So that's our Neil reference for Canada, this show. We got another filthy one. I think maybe every song in this encore has one, whether or not we're going to spotlight them or not. But I think we got to spotlight the one on black because maybe this is my favorite. This might be my favorite right here. I'm not (laughs) lying about this. Might be my favorite. Yeah, that again. Oh, oh, yeah. Take me out. I'm done. I'm good. This is the song I was talking about when we were talking about Nothing Man a little while ago, where there's a song where the talking stops and you can tell that everyone is paying attention now. You don't want to miss what's going on on stage, right? There's no talking during Black. This is absolutely stellar. It's the culmination of what's happening in this encore up to this point, and then, you know, what's going to follow is kind of a separate thing that we're going to talk about. But, you know, we've talked about it before a few weeks ago. I'm a sucker for a Black improv, and there's a really mumbly one here. Like, you can't even make sense of what he's saying, but it's, like, up in the light, smile in our hearts, I'm with you. Bearing our arms with laughter. Yeah, he's definitely thinking about the original themes and inspiration behind the song. And yeah, that always makes it really special for me. This is absolutely one of the great highlights of the show and a show that's got plenty. Very triumphant, powerful version that yet again, Mike and Cameron are the highlights of the show and they are really pushing each other's limits on this. It is not a soulful version, not like an emotional version, but this just has drive and power to it. And I think that's the best kind that you can get from 1998. It just pulverizes and knocks you on your ass. Love it. Very, very good. Ed is going to say thanks again. We met some good friends here. We know some good friends that came from here. Young Neil is an example. Know when we'll be back. I hope it's not as long. Thanks again for coming and being everything that you were. The Backstreet Boys will never have it so good. John, there's a lot of like end of show quotes that you can use from from this. You gotta, (laughs) it's a tough decision here. Sometimes I have to like search for one and like really go deep. But yeah, he was in a talkative mood at this one. Lots of good stuff. Well, now here's a really fun moment because they were about to do the debut of the do the evolution music video it's funny because like you kind of have to match up pacing from the video to the band it feels like 
after a little bit, the band just says, fuck it, we're not doing that. We're not going to try that. And again, like we need the visual aspect. We need to see how it matches up, if it worked or not. But like to get the imagery and to see it go off and to kind of be like, oh, what's that? Oh, what's that? While hearing Ed just scream, it's evolution, baby. There's so much going on here and it leads to just another killer performance on this when the death girl shows up when i think that when the, the flashes of like the dancing and everything and you hear the crowd kind of roar and like they're kind of following along because like no one's seen this video they're kind right. of like following along with okay what's the story and like how's this gonna go and like you you get their kind of real-time reaction to, to all of the images and the imagery and everything it's really really cool it's also from 1992 this is their first music video in six years so there's a lot of hype onto this and you know i remember it being a big deal when people were saying well the band's not actually in it nobody from the band is in it and they didn't want to be in it so they went to todd mcfarlane and created this and artistically it's incredible and the storytelling in it is phenomenal i don't know if you have the art of do the evolution the book but if you don't go and pick it up it's worth your while like there's some fantastic imagery that's in the book and there's stories from all different artists that work on it it's excellent it's really something that everybody needs to have in their collection ed was actually involved in the editing of it so they were really yeah with it and really tried to make it special but yeah it's such a unique thing like you never think of pearl jam involved with these multimedia it's more like something like you know you think of like u2 or something like that where there's going to be this huge video screen and it's very like that but it just shows like they could pull this off yeah pearl jam just doesn't do it it's like okay rock and roll and we want you to hear the show not see the show well we want you to see the show but we want you to get the listening presence from it instead of being like whoa we saw this and this and this and all these things jump out at you like they don't give a shit about that but hey back to the version stone excellent stone was awesome on this i was hoping that because, you know, gotta kind of match the video a little bit that we get, and we never got this before, Stones in the first solo, that like original, like that part, he's never done live before. Instead, he kind of just picks like, I would just love to hear him do it fucking once. And I thought that maybe this had a chance, but alas, no go. When we get the evolution episode, you get to go through all 500 versions and find one. Sure, John. Sure. All 500, right? Yeah, that's what Which you're going to do, right? You're going to listen to every single one? Sure, John. Yeah, sure. Nothing, nothing but time. By the way, that one is the next evolution episode, so yeah, we should get on our horse on that, I guess. All right, we got one song left. Encore 2, Ed S for the house lights, and we hear that quick Ledbetter snippet. And you can hear a guy in the crowd. It's like, they almost never play this one. And they played it 21 times on this tour. So, well, you know, they, they hadn't been back in a while. He was used to the 95, 96 era, era where they, they weren't. So give him a break. I guess. Hey, maybe he wasn't tied in her five horizons. Who knows? But yeah. 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 What I love about Ledbetter in 1998 is that. It still sounds like they are focusing on the song and making the song a great performance. 
instead of it being a party song and a celebration song and all that and then let Mike go off and do whatever he wants to do at the end like these performances have bite to them and I think a couple weeks ago maybe it was the Saratoga Springs show where that Ledbetter felt like a very solid performance that we usually don't kind of see it's just sort of celebratory and that's all it is but they put together a really kind of inspired thing here and mike sounds really good i think we're gonna get into javier on mike do you want to tee that up yeah i was listening to this and mike is just drenched in reverb on this thing i've never heard his guitar sound like this on yellow Light bedroom before so i'm interested to hear javier's take on it let's get to him never cease to amaze me of how many wonderful versions of yellow let better we can find out there while we like listen to different shows for the podcast and kind of like rediscovering why i like that song so much in this case it's all about the univibe and like the use of the guitar so for even flow we were saying like how important it is just to select your pickups like what kind of tone are you going to look for like a fender strat is going to help you to achieve that and it's not limiting it actually it's going to create so many different more options for you so in yellow let better mike has always been very well known to use his fender strat that 1960 with the pickup selector right in the middle it's going to be that middle pickup it's going to create a lot of warm tone behind like the execution of the song in this case though we do have the univive on what's pretty cool about the 98 tour though he only has one univive on his board it's the dunlop univive later on that pedal was replaced with the rotosphere the rotosphere is going to be close to a univive but it's also going to create more sort of like a leslie tone or a leslie organ sound with the horn rotating in 360 around you that's the illusion that that pedal creates in this case we are using the Dunlop Univive in 1998, and this also has a pedal, kind of like an external switch that is gonna allow you to get on or off with a higher setting speed. So whenever you wanna create that Jimi Hendrix kind of tone vibe, no need to engage the pedal, but whenever you wanna select that high impulse face that the Univive is gonna kick you in the face with, you can select that switch on. Again, it's just creating a lot of tones, a lot of different textures in your instrument, just based on two elements, which is amazing. Like, let's not forget also that he uses that volume pan pedal just to like increase the overdrive or minimize the overdrive and maybe clean out the tone or maybe make the song a little bit more like big, increase the headroom or make the guitar a little bit more sharp edge in your face. It's just a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful proof of skills that this guy is giving you by just the use of three elements and i cannot worship him enough or i cannot say how good he is because of those little things so yeah we wanted to mention that i know that we always talked about pedals and their use and the instruments and all that but this week i wanted to focus more in that infamous 1960 strat 
in the way that the player is using it and how many different textures, layers, tones, or even feels you can create out of those selections. Well, Javier, thank you. And that's going to end our set. So thanks for ending the set. And yeah. I can't wait. He's going to put together his first gear garage very, very soon. We're going to yeah, yeah. hopefully put that out. And hey, I should have mentioned it before. I'm working on the next hallucinogenic recipe edit right now. That's going to be about November 1995 and the boots and monkey wrench and everything that went on with those shows. So hang tight for that episode. Probably coming to you in the next two uh, weeks or so. That's a patron first, right? You patrons get to hear that early. Yep. 100%. All right. It's the three moment time. What do you got? All right. My number three is going to be Habit. My number two is Black. And my number one is Leatherman. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that's different. That's definitely different. But you know what? Leatherman isn't going to be number one on mine, but I'll put it at number three. I think it's got the number three spot here. It's a very, very good performance. I am going to say that my number two is going to be State of Love and Trust because it just felt inspired. It just felt like an inspired version, knowing what was in Mike's hands. And you really kind of felt it listening to it on the boot. And, you know, I'm in between a couple, you know, we got a really good evolution. We got a really good lead better. We got a really good habit. So I think I'm going to make this evolution. Number one moment. Let's see where you stand with this one. I like this a lot. A lot of really kind of unexpected, cool moments. Some versions of songs that really stuck out and great Cameron show, great McCready show. I'm going to go pretty high on this because, again, this Encore 1 is just unbelievably good. Banger after banger. I'm going to give this one a nine and a half. You're going to go that high, huh? I am. Okay. I really enjoyed this. I think that this is probably, for me, a nine show. Probably if it had the visual aspect of it, it's a nine and a half, maybe. But I think because it doesn't, I'm actually going to take it down from nine. I'm going to say eight and a half on it because I feel like I missed so much of what this show was because a little bit of the distraction in the bootleg, a little bit of sometimes you couldn't really hear the rhythm section that well. You couldn't really hear Stone if Mike was doing something. Like some of the pieces just weren't all together for a bootleg. And I know in the next couple of weeks we're going to get to some really good bootlegs. Birmingham is coming up. So I know we'll get to one, but I think definitely hearing some of Alex's stories perk me up to the show a little bit and maybe say, all right, well, that kind of tells me a little bit more of what was going on because I mentioned it before, all the chattering and stuff that happens. And yeah, it's going to happen at a show, of course, but look, it's a different aspect when you're listening to it to talk about it on a podcast. It's kind of a different idea, but it, I guess, kind of felt like disappointing that people weren't really just all in on the band that they were chatting babbling and all that so i think that if it had a visual aspect i'd be in between like a nine and nine and a half but this is another like near nine scenario where i'm gonna go eight and a half on this great show great show but i would have been blown away by seeing evolution actually play in the background so all right well 
as you guys probably know by now, we're going to do 1998 for the next two weeks. And I just mentioned Birmingham, but that one's not coming until the next week. Not next week, but the next next week. And the actual next week is going to be Pittsburgh 1998. So that's a show that has been on our radar for a very, very long time. Now we finally get to cover it. It's kind of the third in our Pittsburgh trilogy for the year, believe it or not. Yeah, that's a cool one. There's a really cool Easter egg in that show. I won't spoil it, but that's one you're definitely going to want to listen to. And that's when we get, uh, I think we have a recording of the soundcheck too, so we'll get to talk about a soundcheck. Excellent. The debut of No Way? Yep. The live debut of No Way, so we got that. And hey, also next week, I didn't tee this up during when we were talking about stuff in the beginning, but we got our five-year anniversary party that we got to celebrate, and it's going to be over Zoom. And if you're following us on the socials, if you're not on social and you're not on Patreon, but you want to be a part of the party, then you can email live on four legs podcast at gmail.com and we can send you a link to, to join up, but it'll be all over the place. I'll put it out on Patreon. I'll put it out on Facebook and the community group and stuff like that. So everybody will get a chance to join in. We're just going to do our thing and tell stories and have you guys tell stories too. And just kind of almost be like a preliminary, like right before the show's kind of start thing to get you guys excited and and back into it. But also celebrating some of the the great achievements that we've been able to make in five years, which I'm excited to see what you guys think of that. So, all right. Well, things are always happening and good things are happening right now. And if you want to celebrate with us, then, hey, make sure you're subscribed on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're on Apple, Spotify, you can tell that there is a rating system. And look, I say every week, you don't have to give us five stars, but if we earned it, we deserve it, then I think it should be in the cards. I think that we deserve it. We do the work that deserves to be a five-star rated podcast, but I'll leave that up to you guys. That's my sell on it. But really, the big thing is on Apple and leaving the comments, because if people see a comment that you guys listened to a show that you went to and you had great memories of it and all that, then the next person is just going to be like, whoa, I got to listen now and maybe they get inspired and want to go out and listen to a couple of shows that they went to too and then kind of rekindle those memories. That's the best thing that we can do is rekindle those memories. I've gotten some messages in the last couple weeks and a few of them saying like i've gotten really excited for the tour by following you guys i've gotten back into bootleg collecting because i've been listening to this show a lot a couple people said that it was their appreciation for music has just been elevated by listening to us and i think that's the best compliment that anybody can give out of all the compliments that you know might be on the table if we just help you get into good music and just listen and take everything in that you can. We've done our job. We don't need to do anything else. So I'm thrilled with and thankful that anybody would think something like that and appreciate us for that. And really, we're just here to tell stories and talk about your nostalgia and love this band. So, yeah, that's all we're going to do from here on out. That's all we've been trying to do. So... Without trying to get too rambly, I think we'll close this one out. This may be the end. We're here, but not for much longer. And although we may be parting ways, miss you already, miss you always. 
oh, there's so much. The anticipation is building up here. You can go with the Backstreet Boy quote. You can go with the I'm Eddie Vedder quote. I want to see what John has in store. How are we finishing this show? That song sucks. Uh-huh.